Greetings, Jonathan Sulzbach here to introduce this episode from the vault of Cinema Filibuster. This episode was originally recorded way back in 2014. I believe we had three or four failed attempts before we got it right, and I think that dampened my enthusiasm to release the episode to the public. But here it is, more than five years later after the fact. Enjoy our blissful ignorance of what was to come, although in Sean's case, he was right on the money with his brain of Morbius insight. So, anyway, no more spoilers. Enjoy. And now, your host... Sean Hastings, an author and voice actor with an honorary doctorate in woodwind horn repair. Jonathan Solzbach, writer, graphic designer, and self-publishing aficionado. Together, these fine fellows form Cinema Filibuster. And welcome to the show. I'm Jonathan Solzbach. And I'm Sean Hastings. Mr. Hastings, yes. what are we talking about on today's podcast? Well, it's funny you should ask that, especially considering if you didn't ask, we I wouldn't be able to answer <laughs> you. The, uh, today we're going to be talking about a uh, little slice of science fiction history, ongoing piece of science fiction history that is very near and dear to my hearts, and that would be, if you could catch that little hint, Doctor Who. Yes, sir, we're both Doctor Who fans. Big Sean's Doctor been fans. a fan for... Well, as long as I've been alive. Two years longer. <laughs> no, two years longer. I saw Doctor Who two years before you were born. Ooh. Milad. So uh, what we want to do on today's podcast is elaborate on how each of us came to become familiar with the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And then share what we thought about the 2005 revival of the series. And, and maybe talk a little bit about yeah. where it is now. Wow, dude, it's been Almost yeah. 10 years since it came Isn't back. Isn't that crazy? That freaks me out. Okay. I mean, forget the fact it's been going since 1963. It's, it's the, the new stuff's 10 years old. Isn't that crazy? Oh, uh, it makes me, makes me feel old. <laughs> no, feel old. no, no. You just have to regenerate. Just to regenerate, <laughs> right. Uh, I'll regenerate into something else. Okay. So for those who don't know, the uh, Doctor is a, a Time Lord from mm-hmm. Gallifrey who gallivants through time and space. Galfrey, which was in the, uh, which is at binary coordinates ten zero eleven zero zero by zero two from Galactic Zero Center in the constellation of Castorobrus. He has the appearance of a Homo sapien, but he has two hearts yep. and the ability, upon near mortal death, to regenerate mm-hmm. his entire body, new face, new teeth, new everything. He has a symbiotic self-renewing cell structure. But he does retain his memories and pieces of his personality. Sure. And teeth, apparently, the last three times. Oh, really? <laughs> he kept saying, mm, no. No, no, he did say new teeth. Yeah, he did say new teeth. So he did get new teeth. It's a mechanism to introduce a new actor into the role, but the Doctor is always the same core being. Yeah. But his personality changes with each actor's... Uh, well, Interpretation of the there part. Sure. Yeah, each actor brings a new nuance to the Doctor. Yeah, well, because you know nobody wants to nobody wants to be remembered as the guy that came in and did the last guy over again, right. which is weird because you know normally people when they watch a show like this and they become endeared to a character like this, they want continuity, and you don't get that. But in a weird way, you do. It's it's the it's the weirdest phenomena I've ever seen in terms of changing, you know, just the root... I mean, basically the core of the show gets changed, yet it stays the same. And I guess, uh, you know, I don't know if I whether to attribute that to... or I, I don't know whether to credit the writers for that or credit the actors, or maybe a bit of both. Because hmm. the show is always different, yet you can, you know, you can see... 
you can take any um, David Tennant or Matt Smith episode and any Patrick Troughton episode and find corollary. You can put them two together and list, you know, the, this happens, this, 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 and the qualities and characteristics of the stories, the characters, and everything. And there would be, you know, except for a few deviations and just, you know, plot, you've kind of got the, you've almost got, you still have the same show. Yeah, it's about the Doctor going different places and helping out wherever he can. Yeah. And usually he travels with a companion or multiple companions. Mm -hmm. He runs into a number of recurring villains, but there are plenty of new ones out there. Oh, yeah. every, you, every never, season there's a new, there's four or five new you ones. You never know when or where the Doctor will be next. Nope. But it's always an adventure. Mm -hmm. To time and space. Space, space, space. He there was a time he didn't even know. Back in the early days, you know, he just That's would true. switch buttons and. <laughs> oh dear! It's kind of a, a roulette. Where will we wind up next? Where will we wind up next? Although there was a brief time in the Tom Baker era where he was running from the Black Guardian of the Universe, who was the guard with the evil. You have two guardians. You have the White Guardian and the Black Guardian, and they're they're both kind of the custodians of balance in 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 everything. I mean, these are probably the two most powerful beings that have ever occurred in the Doctor Who universe. They are the two most powerful beings in the Doctor Who universe. And it was in the uh, it was in the little stint where the Doctor had to find the five pieces, the five segments to the key to time. And it was five episodes. It was a it was a, their first kind of a mini series and it was it was really kind of cool. And um, at the end of course, you know, the things happen and you know and the Black Guardian is thwarted. But the Black Guardian's on, looking for him now. So the Black Guardian knows everything. He's sort of like the ultimate te you know, telepath. So in order to escape him, he puts something called a randomizer on the coordinates of the TARDIS. So basically he throws a switch and it goes anywhere. He doesn't know where mm. he's going, so the Black Guardian can't find him. And that lasted, I think, almost until the end of uh, Tom Baker's run. And if I remember correctly... Tom Baker was your first doctor. He was. So elaborate. Take us back through time, Take us Sean. back through time and space. <laughs> the Regale us with a tale of your first encounter with that being from another planet. It, 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 it. Well, it was 1982. Ronald Reagan was president. Um, E.T. was still fresh in everyone's memory. And I was visiting Denver, Colorado with my brother-in-law and sister. Um, my niece and nephew and I were there. They're close to my... They actually, actually, they're my cousins. Long story. But either way, my cousins were there, and we were watching... Uh, we were just kind of flipping through TV, and uh, the first episode of Pyramids of Mars popped up. And I you know, was kind of like, what is, oh, this is kind of interesting. It looks like a... Because I'd already been kind of a fan of Hammer films, you know, the, the Hammer horror films, which is a you know, uniquely British... Uh, style of horror film, you know, it started in the 50s, went through the 60s and 70s, and I've always been a huge fan of that style of film, and this had that feel to it. You know, obviously being a British production, it had a lot of the, a lot of similarity. And this lead character was just so unique, and he was, he was quick, very quick. You could tell there was a, uh, a huge intelligence working there, and I mean, not just, you know, subliminally, even the actor, you know, because Tom Baker is a, quite an intelligent man, and you're just looking at this going, wow. 
something about this guy is uh, appealing to me, and I don't know what it is. And I ask my cousins, what is this guy? And they say, oh, this is some stupid show. It's called Doctor Who. He's some kind of an alien or something. I don't know. It's some British show. It it sucks. We, they, they'd seen a couple, because they'd been up there before, and they'd seen a couple of episodes. And I was just transfixed. And for the rest of, they showed each episode. They showed, um, you know, all four episodes of Pyramids of Mars. And by the end of it, I was just like... You know, because they said he doesn't have any superpowers or anything, so he's kind of dumb. I thought, well, no, he doesn't, but wow, something, I mean, this guy knows what's going on. This guy's on the ball. This guy's got this kind of Sherlock Holmes vibe, like, you know, and I've always been impressed by characters who acted, you know, who knew what was happening, you know. No matter what was going on in and around them, they knew what was happening. I thought, I like this guy. In fact... You know, of course, I was 12 years old. I was still in my Let's Play Pretend phase. So the instant I got back to Abilene, <coughs> we would, um, uh, you know, we, you know, my, my friends and I would want to play superhero stuff. Well, I'd want to play play the Doctor. I wanted to play Doctor Who because that's kind of before. I only seen one episode and I didn't really catch that everybody just called him the Doctor. So I want to play Doctor Who. What does he do? Time travel. Shut up. He's smart. And, and um about a year or two later, it finally sh- started showing on the local PBS station. And I just flipped out. I thought, this is great. You guys are going to love this. And I had some of my friends watch it. And they were like, this is dumb. This is The special effects are terrible. This guy's stupid. I, and I was the geek outcast in a world of geeks. Because everybody <laughs> liked the cool science fiction. Star Wars, Star, Star Trek, Trek, and Battlestar Galactica. Because Every- that's not nerdy at all. No, that stuff's cool. <laughs> that's, you know, that that's the chicks dig, you know, the, the, the oh, Star Wars and Star Trek. That? <laughs> they never did. That was just a, a euphemism for, I was on the outs with that right. crowd. The fringe of the fringe. The fringe of the fringe. And for some reason, I loved it. I thought, you bet your butt. I love Doctor Who. And I thought I was the only Doctor Who fan in the world. Because I thought, and well, nobody likes it. I don't even know why it show how how a TV station over here got it. Why they even got it? Because I was sure I was the only person in Texas who had ever heard of Doctor Who, who even liked it. And so you could become an expert on the topic and tell people about it, and they would not be none the wiser because right. Well, you we're the expert. Well, yeah. Well, I was. You know, even because uh, uh, I guess it was. Um, probably about 86 or so, I started finding there, um, a guy named Peter Hanning put out these encyclopedic volumes about the history of Doctor Who. There was one called Doctor Who, A Celebration. Then there was the second one was called Doctor Who, A Key to Time. And then Doctor Who, something, uh, Time and Space. And it's just these, these thick coffee table books about the history of Doctor Who. And I thought, somebody produced a book about this show? Give it! And I would, and I mean, every time the new one came out, I would go down and buy it. These were 20 bucks back in the 80s. So that was two weeks worth of my allowance to get these things. But I was just a madman. I would just buy them and read them and read them. So, you know, I ended up being a huge Doctor Who expert in a uh, town full of people that didn't care. Uh, So I thought... But as time went on, you know, once I got to high school and the group of, you know, because there were only two high schools in my town. So if you're on the north side of the town, you went to Abilene High. If you're on the south side, you went to Cooper. So I went to Abilene High. And of course, every, you know, every uh, junior high or in the area went there. So are, you know, the, the plane of people. And I ended up finding the two or three other people who were like me, who were the outcasts of the Doctor Who. And, you know, we were just thrilled to meet each other. And uh, then, of course, the PBS station... 
No, no, I take it back. The first time it was just a, it was just a station out of Dallas that got it. The second time it was PBS got it. And they started with Tom Baker's first episode, Robot, and just they showed like the first five stories all in an afternoon, and I was just... Ugh. And uh, the fr- and I had I'd only seen bits and pieces of the first five stories the last time it was shown, and um, I was just uh, in heaven. And of course, you know, as time went on, we we finally got a comic book store in Abilene, and that's when I found out, holy gosh, there is there there's a huge fandom for this. You know, people there's conventions for this, and then of course the PBS station had a Doctor Who convention that we all got together and drove to Dallas and. Um, I almost met Colin Baker, and um, the line was too long. Uh, who else was there? It was Colin Baker and I believe Nicholas Courtney, the brigadier, was there. But the next year we went, I met Peter Davison, and I met uh, John Levine, the guy that played um, Sergeant Benton, who was super cool. They were both really nice. Wow, so you've actually met some of the cast. Yeah. Uh, nice people. Very nice people. Peter Davison's a very quiet fellow. Very, very quiet. Did you get to speak with him? I did. Uh, I walked up and um, and I was and I thought you know of course in my ever need, my ever growing need to be you know witty hey <laughs> I walked up to him because everybody was just fawning all over him obviously because he was you know at the time there were only uh, six doctors Sylvester McCoy hadn't even come out so he was just the last doctor when Davison was, there. was number five Davison was five Colin Baker was six and there was only six doctors at the time so you know we walked you know I walked up to him and I and I thought I'd make a joke like. Like, you know, I didn't, like, I didn't know what's going on. I said, so, and you're Peter who again? What? what <laughs> Peter again? who? Aha. Uh-huh. That's what he thought I meant. <laughs> and he went, seems like it's sometime. <laughs> oh, no, that's not what I'm, okay, funny, yay. No, he was cool, though. Really nice man. His uh, signature, you know how stars have their, uh, we commented later on, his um, his autograph looks like it says Peel's Lavasoy. <laughs> <laughs> so every time we saw a picture of him, hey, it's the fifth doctor, Peel's Lavasoy. Oh, wow. But still a very nice man. I was very glad to meet him. But anyway, that's my, uh, that's, and of course, you know, then I got out, you know, and found out Doctor Who, like I said, Doctor Who was huge, and then uh, that brought us up to the uh, reboot, but, um, which I guess is a good segue, so let's, uh, you tell us. Okay. Mr. Selsbach, how did you discover Doctor Who? Well, Doctor Who is and has been popular long enough, and it's been pervasive enough that even not having a formal introduction to it, I heard whispers of this Doctor Who thing. (laughs) Sure. And by that I mean channel flipping and seeing on PBS this black and white show with wobbly sets. (laughs) To be fair. Questionable acting. (laughs) Aww, yeah. And no explanation. (coughs) No explanation as to what's going on. You either knew what was going on, Mm Or you didn't. <laughs> or you guessed. Correct. But I remember flipping the channels. This was a long time ago. I didn't grow up with television, but after our parents moved, teenage years, we got basic mm-hmm. cable, like channels 1 through, or 2 through 12, or whatever it was. Yeah. Just would come through. And PBS was one of those. So Doctor Who would be on. I didn't know what it was, but I would flip the channels, see it. I think my mom said, oh, I think that's that British thing, Doctor who or something like Doctor Who? What a silly name. <laughs> He's stupid. And you mentioned Hammer. I didn't know about Hammer, but mm-hmm. the quality of what I was seeing, some of them must have been in color later seasons, yeah, but sure. I saw those and thought, oh, this feels very British and very cult-like, sort of a... Yeah. Um, by that, I just mean like, oh, you either know what it is or you don't. It's an in, yeah, you're either in or you're not. And in a lot of ways in the United States, it was. 
In so Britain, I, it was huge. I didn't pay much attention and just flip away. Right. And it looked like a soap opera because they right. shot it on a studio with with video with studio right. video cameras. I knew it was British because of the the video and the lighting quality. Like, right. Even if this is any good, it looks dated <laughs> and sure. So I just didn't give it the time of day. However, fast forward uh, <laughs> maybe a decade or so. I don't know. Working as a graphic designer, working on a project for the Amazon Kindle, the team that I was a part of produced a video that played on the device when the device was on display in a store mm -hmm. to lure kids and parents sure. and over to the device like touch here to try this feature, blah blah blah. blah, blah there blah. was no audio, but it had lots of graphics circling through. Mm -hmm. And it was a mock-up of how the device would work. And since it was all about delivering magazines and movies, mm -hmm. we, as part of the animation team, had to put content into the video. And so Amazon gave us cover artwork for movies like uh. The Born Ultimatum, uh, Dora the Explorer, uh. Doctor Who. Well. So I think it was Series 6 was out at the time. Matt Smith's uh, right. second, I guess. The cover, the cover art for it, his back is to the audience. It's very dark, but he's got his sonic screwdriver glowing and it says mm -hmm. Doctor Who. And so that was one of the pieces of artwork that I worked with. I'm like, Doctor Who, that sounds like that. That's that black and white pile of like, television. <laughs> that show's still on the air? <gasps> or is it a reboot? Or I didn't know what it was. Right. But with I, all the reboots that are out, that's a logical uh, assumption. But that same, same year, or within a few months of that, I realized as an Amazon, this is not a plug, but as an Amazon Prime subscriber, mm -hmm. suddenly I didn't just have free shipping, I had access to content. Sure. Movies, music, television, television, shows, television shows. Most of which I wouldn't care to watch. <laughs> well, yeah. Among them was Doctor Who. And I've, I don't know how I found that I was being offered, but it popped up in suggestions because I, I like science fiction and Stargate. I think I've been watching Stargate oh, recently. Mm -hmm. So it suggested Doctor Who. And it had cover artwork for Series 1 from 2005 with Eccleston and uh, what's your name? Billy Piper on Billy the cover, mm -hmm. looking off to the distance, sort of amused, but kind of dopey at the same time. Like, <laughs> uh. that doesn't look anything like the guy who was on the other cover. So I knew nothing about the fact that, though there are multiple doctors, sure. multiple actors. He's a time lord, he regenerates. I knew nothing. There's a lot to take in when you first hop into this character. But I didn't have much going on at the time. <laughs> Come home <laughs> well, from work, make food, watch something, or play a game. And go to I had recently yeah. moved out of my parents' house, so I was on my own. So on I, my <laughs> own. So I decided, hey, I'm going to watch this. Watch this. Good, for you. Good <laughs> for you. So I watched the very first episode of Series 1, or as we like to say, Volume 2. Volume 2. Series 1. Series yeah. 1. With obviously Eccleston and Rose, mm -hmm. or sorry, the Doctor and Rose, and Doctor and Rose, yeah. And I was like, "What is this? This is fascinating. I don't know what's going on." <laughs> right. They seem to be alluding to the fact that this guy's got history. Mm -hmm. He seems to know what these autons are all about. Oh yeah. Whatever he does, he's been at it for a while. Go. I'm going to give this another go. Give it another episode just to see if uh, if it starts to develop. Right. Episode three comes along, like, well, I'll try another episode and then sure. see. Um, episode three was Dalek, wasn't it? I believe. Oh boy, you would have to go and ask that question. Because uh, episode one, episode two was the Earth. The Earth went away, and then episode 
episode. I don't remember if episode three was a Dalek or not. I think you're right. Because that was, you know, because of course I, you know, when when the when the light first came on, I went doctor. I went, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. I was having a little freak spat, you know, going just, oh, it's the Daleks, the Daleks are back. And um, you know, so, so when that thing came up, all the meat, you know, in his reaction, I was like, oh man, this was just huge. Yeah, this was okay. just huge. Well, you're you're hitting on the the right button because when that episode, when I got to that episode, whichever one it was. I don't know if I... I think I watched them in order. I hope I watched them in order. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you did. I saw that and like, I didn't know what a Dalek was. Mm-hmm. But there's no a reference of a time war, the last of its kind, the Doctor's last... And his reaction is like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? And then Rose somehow gives energy to the Dalek and it gets right. free and one Dalek wipes out one of these silly looking Daleks that can't even go upstairs and it wipes out this entire wipes out, yeah, ins- yeah it wipes out the facility oh. yeah and the doctor wasn't kidding you know if it you know I, the, the line that, that gave me chills he says what's the nearest city Salt Lake City dead all dead <laughs> he will systematically kill everything on the surface of this planet and there's nothing that anyone on the surface of this planet can do about it and though I didn't recognize the significance of the way that episode's ending uh, played out and I won't spoil it I was nonetheless impressed by the ability to have such a range of feelings mm-hmm. uh, for and against Daleks. And after that, I knew, come what may, I was a Doctor Who fan. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, it's like if, if somebody told me, if, if, I went back, if I went back in time and talked to myself when I was a, you know, 18, 19-year-old, you know, who just, I was, at that point, I was buried in Doctor Who, and I looked at myself and said, one day, you will weep for a Dalek. No. no way. That's good. That's stupid. impossible. Although I, I, I feel like I've been kind of robbed a little bit because I always thought I had an idea about a Dalek, a single Dalek being inside a bunker, you know, and and they you don't have nobody had anything to stop it because normally you know a good laser to the eye stalk and they're gone. But you know, in a, I always thought in a bunker, mine would be a little bit more horror movie like. But it was like you alone with a one Dalek instead of a whole army of them. I always wanted to write that as a story. Mm. And behold and lo, they did it. But they did well, so I'm not going to grouse. That's interesting. As soon as I got latched into the show, it was not long before I wanted to know if other people were watching it. Oh. <laughs> I needed to know. Are you alone? Am I alone? Tell me I'm not the last of my kind. Am I alone <laughs> in an but unfeeling universe? I, I don't know if I hadn't met you yet, but shortly after meeting you, I learned that you were a Doctor Who fan. Mm-hmm. And I was... Really excited to be able to talk about it. Talk about it, right, to somebody who... And you knew so much. You were talking about (coughs) this doctor and that doctor, and you were using the names of the actors that portrayed them. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, slow down. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I want to catch up. I want to be with you. I want to be on your level, man. So, (laughs) Congratulations. I hereby bequeath you to my level. You're up, you're up. But I haven't had that reaction I was a huge fan of Stargate, and I still love Stargate. Oh, it's a good but show. I didn't have the desire to know everything about it. I know, I, and I don't know what it is about Doctor Who that is that way. It's. I think it's the way, if I'm guessing, that bits of information are slipped in here and there, a little bit like the way Star Wars did it. There weren't huge yeah. explanations about things. There were tidbits that kind of whet your appetite, and you wanted to know more, and they told you more as it pertained to the story. But they don't go out and bog you down with. No. And now here's everything you'll ever need to know. No. I, w- I still want to know what a Gondar is. So if I ever have to rip its ears off, <laughs> if I have to be strong enough to rip the ears off a Gondar, 
and I want to know what a nerf is and how they're herded by nerf herders. <laughs> so there's something about Doctor Who, but it's so different from Star Wars or even Star yeah. Trek because it really is about this character, the Doctor, who wants to help people. Mm-hmm. And like you said, he doesn't have superpowers. No. He doesn't generally carry a weapon. No, he's got a screwdriver. He doesn't have a weapon. He has a screwdriver. And he's got a brain. <laughs> and he, he, a very impressive brain. And empathy. Mm-hmm. So between his, his wits and his uh, witticisms, he's just fascinating to watch. And you, you assume he's going to get out of every scrape, but you'd never know how. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it fascinating. Well, every once in a while, you know, they refer to him as the Lonely God. And in a lot of ways, and that's another thing I like kind of about the dichotomy of a Time Lord. Time Lords are just as frail and fallible as any of us. You put a bullet through their head, they're dead. Exactly. But, you know, it's the, you know, the wrath of a Time Lord is nothing to trifle with at all. I mean, you remember the episode where he tried to hide and at the very end, you know, one of them was imprisoned as a scarecrow, one of them was put into a... I mean, don't mess with this man. Do not mess with him. In fact, the line that... um, that um, uh, Matt Smith once said was where it's the episode where they see him killed, you know, by the spaceman, and then the younger version, oh, sorry, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers sweetie. <laughs> well, and when he, well, when he shows up, and you know, of course, they think, oh no, and he shows up at his younger self, and they're they're not telling you, you're not telling me something, and he says, don't play games with me, don't ever think you're capable of that, <laughs> and that's just some little kind of taste of. You know, it's good that he's a good man. It's good that he has a sense of justice and fair play because I have a feeling the universe would be in trouble if he wasn't. Righteous judgment. Righteous judgment. Yep. Don't play games with me. Sorry, it gives me chills every time I think about it. Okay, so approaching the 25... Sorry. Approaching the 2005 revitalization of the show revitalization what was going on in your mind because you hadn't seen or heard of a doctor who anything not since, since 1996 i believe it was when um paul mcgann's uh very very ill-fated fox movie came out which was it was a little oasis in the in the it was it wasn't a very good movie bless our hearts they tried but, but it, there hadn't been any who for how long oh good grief since 1980 or 89 yeah so it was well over six years since we had any Doctor Who, any new Doctor Who, and it was, you know, it's like, hey, and we were thinking this might be a revitalization for the for the series, although I was really concerned about an American company getting a hold of it because Doctor Who works with a British sensibility, not with an American sensibility, and you couldn't do an American series like that. And obviously, because they, they the kind of made it... The focus would change. Yeah, and, and uh, but they did, they did at least keep it canon, in that it was a continuation. They got, you know, uh, Sylvester McCoy to reprise his role. And um, the, the, the actor that they got was outstanding. Paul McGann is an incredible actor. Great voice. Just a really fantastic doctor. And I'm still bereaved that we don't... And I'm hoping one day, if we have another multi-doctor special, they get him back. Because I would... Even though he's done quite a few audio adventures, I would dearly love to see him get more time to shine. Because I think he would have been... One of my favorites, if he could have gotten a, gotten a bit of a run. But that was it. That's all we had. And it was not very good. And in a way, I was relieved because I thought, well, now maybe America's not going to get their hands on it. And if it ever comes back again, in fact, but of course, once 2000 rolled around, I thought, no, 
uh, my friend Kevin and I discussed it at length. Uh, it, we thought it was dead. He said it might come back, you know, in 70 years. Somebody will look back and go, hey, this is something cool we might could try again, but reboot it and start over. And Doctor Who, as we knew it, was dead. Well, all of a sudden, um, coming soon, Doctor Who. And we didn't know if it was a reboot or not. You know, we saw this uh, Doctor Who, played by Christopher Eccleston. And Kevin said, who? And I said, you remember the villain from 28 Days Later, the, the lieutenant who was kind of nuts? Yeah, him. Went, okay, he's got an interesting look. And um, then I saw his picture and I thought, oh, God, he's a football who looking. He's got a leather <laughs> jacket. I thought, oh, he's, he's going to be the new, you know, tough punch people in the kidneys doctor who, you know, gr grabs the women by the back of the hair and sticks his tongue down their mouth and says, I'm the doctor. I thought, oh, God, <laughs> it's going to... I wonder you were terrified. I was a little terrified because they're, they're, playing, they're playing with my hero, and the doctor has, has always been and always will be my hero. And, of course, it comes out, and we don't get it in Abilene because we don't have BBC or anything, but uh, Sci-Fi Channel ended up finally getting it, so... We're Kevin and I are in front of the TV. All right. Oh, so you watched the premiere. We uh, well, no. We well, we watched the premiere on Sci-Fi Channel. Okay. We didn't watch the. We thought, all right. And we were over at our friend Lori's house. It was kind of like, okay, you can use my cable because neither one of us <laughs> had it, so we used her cable. Thank you, Lori. And um, uh, we watched the whole episode. And of course, you know, uh, I'm the doctor. Run for your life! I thought, okay, all right. I dig that. That's nice. That's got that playfulness to him. And when I saw the mannequins come alive, I thought, those are autons. Yes. I know what these are. <laughs> they're, and I thought, okay. This, I, I said, I still didn't know, you know, because, well, they're autons. They may not be the same one. And then, of course, he goes in and this writhing blob of crap is the Nestines, <laughs> which is, you know, which was from uh, John Pertwee's first episode. Uh, of course, this writhing, this was computer-generated writhing crap instead of a trash bag <laughs> filled with jello writhing crap going against the window. And um, and then he starts throwing all of this new stuff, you know, against the, you know, I couldn't save any of them. Yours was the first planet to go. I thought, somebody destroyed the home planet of the Nestines? That's Major League. Why isn't somebody doing so? Why aren't the Time Lords doing something about this? And then he threw down the Shadow Proclamation. Ooh. Whoa! When I heard that, is, I was like, I want to know what that is. What is? I did too. I'm like, I've never heard of you heard of the Shadow And he looked at me. He says, you're asking me. And we're going, no, I don't know what the Shadow Proclamation is. Is that something? No, I can just turn around and and watch the movie. You know, we kept talking about it. And finally, by the end of it, I said... Okay, I'll give him another shot. That was good. Then the next episode, and I'm still, I said, I'll tell you what, it is good, and I will like it. I think I have decided that if they keep, if, if they're all like this, I will like the show. If this, if this is a continuation, I'm going to love it. Mm. If, it's, if it's a reboot, I'll like it. But it'll lose some of the, you know, the, the glamour history, for me. The it was. It would lose a lot. And I will just like it. Even though the actual content isn't going to change, it's still, there's my Doctor Who and this Doctor Who is kind of how I was going to look at it. Mm -hmm. And um, then, of course, uh, the next episode you find out, you know, you, it's intimated that he's the last of his kind and went, what happened to the What? And uh, I can't remember what the final clue was that clued me in that finally said, no, this is, this is a continuation. I can't remember when it was because it was a while into it. And when I said, and Kevin said, this is a, this is the continuation. You this is the 11th the doctor. This is not doctor number one. Well, they started calling him the 11th doctor. And I thought, ninth. Ninth, sorry. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, blank. They're calling Finally, him the ninth I have out. Who did me? Yeah, got me. Yeah, got me. <laughs> 
but yeah, when I when I found out that this was a continuation, and then well, like you said, then the episode Dalek happened. I went. Whoa, I want to know what this time war thing was, and I want to know why the Daleks were having a time... Because the Daleks... I mean, the Time Lords were the oldest species in the universe. Well, second or third oldest. You know, they were one of the oldest species in the universe, and the Daleks were still fairly new. How did they suddenly... They were never a match for the Time Lords. Nobody was a match for them. The Time Lords snapped their finger and you vanished. Mm -hmm. They moved entire constellations. They moved groups of stars across the the galaxy. Of course, apparently... With the, with the, the the Daleks can now too, but the interest, uh, but they used, but they would mention in a Colin Baker episode that the Time Lords had a had a machine called the Magnetron that could move planets and stuff. And now all of a sudden, in the episode of the the Missing Earth, we find out that the Daleks have their own Magnetron and are moving planets. It's interesting you say this because in the William Hartnell, that would be the first Doctor, even in his series way back in '63, mm-hmm. the Daleks had time travel capabilities. Yes, they did. And they pursued the Doctor. Mm-hmm, through time. Yep, they did. They could do time displacement all the way back then. So while they may not be Time Lords, the technology is ultimately what gives the Time Lord power. Yeah. You take that away. And they're not, yeah. They're, they're they just, have a regeneration thing, but mm-hmm. what else do they have? Uh, well, they have a unique... And they have a unique uh, a perception of time. There was an episode. Well, I, there was. I agree. There are differences. Well, there's a like there was an episode of John Pertwee where somebody was trying to invent a time machine and it was caught and it was making time skip jumps and nobody noticed it but him. You know, time would suddenly boom, and three minutes pass in a second. He go, "What just happened?" And everybody's, "What? What are you talking about?" Because he could sense time in a way in ways that we can't, and that's just because he's traversed time so much. Daleks don't. You know, they only use it as a means to an end. You know, and some Daleks never time travel, but. It's, um, but yeah, eventually their technology caught me, obviously, caught up to them. And at first I was hesitant because I've always thought of the Time Lords as kind of non, you know, you don't touch them. They are the, they are up on their throne. You don't mess with them. Nobody, I mean, the Centaurans have invaded Gallifrey and they've been kicked off. I mean, it's, you don't mess with them. And then all of a sudden, have the Daleks come along and be able to, I was kind of like, eh, that seems a little far-fetched. But as the show went along and the story became ingrained, I thought, well, you know what? I think that's good, though. It's good that if anyone was going to do it, it'd be the Daleks, because the Daleks... Uh, they're relentless. They're relentless, and if they decide they want to take out the Time Lords, they're going to keep inventing new machines. And see, the, the Time Lords tend to be a little... Okay, we've reached the pinnacle of, and we're just going to sit here. They tend to be very lethargic and atrophy. They don't mm. do anything. They just look. And the Daleks are active. You know, they're taking over. They're right. fighting different people, compensating for stuff. So the Daleks are growing. The Time Lords are just sitting here. So it kind of fits that the Daleks got big enough to take on the biggest boys on the block. Boy. Well, as of right now, Series 8 of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, we're about to see the new one. Some of it's been filmed, some of it may be ongoing, but August 23rd, 2014, I believe that's the correct date. Uh, I I think so, yeah. Doctor Who, Series 8, Peter Capaldi, the 12th Doctor? Yep. Well, technically it's the 13th. Well, see, there was a big, there was a lot of, well, (laughs) there was a lot of uh, uh, controversy about that. In fact, I've been a part of a couple of internet threads about where people were arguing which, you know, what number the doctors were. And apparently, according to um, uh, uh, according to Matt Smith's doctor, when uh, when David Tennant was shot by the Dalek and 
blasted all of his uh, regeneration energy into the hand that grew into the other David Tennant, that counted as a regeneration because he was dying. But he siphoned off, he had a place to send the the overabundance of energy that changed you. He just had enough to heal and then he sent the rest of it out. So technically that was a regeneration. So mm. technically David Tennant is the, what it would be the 10th and 11th doctor. <laughs> I think common perception is that Capaldi is Doctor Number Twelve. <laughs> right. Except he said, uh, you know, and he said, uh, you know, in uh, the fiftieth anniversary when you know the ending's happening and everybody, you know, and he says, oh God, now I've got to deal with twelve of them. And then Capaldi comes in, no sir, thirteen, and throws a switch. But I don't believe Capaldi said that. That was another Time Lord. No, that was Capaldi. I'm pretty sure. No, we may have we to may, watch. We'll have to see this that. This is again. my ploy to watch it again. I see. Well, at least it, <laughs> at least it's not some ploy to watch it again. <laughs> that 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 I would at least. What did you say over there a second ago? You know, mm-hmm. far be it from no. Yeah, it's <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Um, you, do you know how hard it is to get me to watch an episode of Doctor Who? <laughs> hey, why don't we watch a movie? Doctor Who? Doctor Who? Okay, Sean, we'll watch an episode of Doctor Who. Great, let's watch Doctor Who! Could you say that you have a favorite Doctor these days? These days? No. There was a time when Tom Baker was my favorite Doctor because he was the, you know, he was the first one I ever saw. And um, I do like his portrayal because his portrayal is the most... Is one of the most unique portrayals of a character, not just not just the Doctor, but you know he's just such a quirky bohemian. It just he's really an interesting character, um, and uh, who I'm mean, you know is probably a good a good deal of it is you know what Tom Baker because you know every actor says they put a little bit of themselves. You know Patrick Troughton's Doctor is a little bit Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, and so mm. forth and so on. So. Uh, he was my favorite, and I and I'm still partial to his. I, I love his performance. I mean, they all do. They all do a fantastic job. In fact, that's always the thing that has saved them, uh, saved the show a lot of times. Is through bad, good and bad episodes, they've always picked good actors to play the part. I seem to feel that depending on which doctor I'm watching, that doctor becomes my temporary favorite, or that the happens. one. Yeah. I find myself if I'm watching a, a Hartnell episode, I'll. I'll look around on the web of different episodes, threads, like, does anybody like the first Doctor? <laughs> and if I'm watching a Tenet episode, like, where's the love for Tenet, you know? Never. So, <laughs> right, it's, right. My focus hops Shifts. around. It's mm-hmm. all the same character, but the different portrayals. And I, I so far have not met a Doctor that I didn't like. No. Each yeah. one brings something new. In the classic Who, I'm up to the point in continuity where the first episode of Troughton, mm-hmm. it's a, a re construction of the episode parts of it were lost sure. mm-hmm. but uh all the audio is there and so yes i finally said farewell heart oh uh, yeah um his regeneration was very anticlimactic he just falls over <laughs> yeah he said he doesn't he say it's a body's getting a bit worn out his final episode or four episodes deal with the cybermen mm-hmm. but the doctor's involvement is almost non Non important. Uh, he's just there because he, he it's falls, because Hartnell was in such bad health. He falls ill partway through an episode. He sleeps through most of the next one. Uh, he kind of shows back up on the, the this. Uh, there's a bunker. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Bunker. Anyway, he pops back up on the scene, raring to go, and then he collapses once he's inside the TARDIS. 
-hmm. Before that, he says something to the effect that this body is wearing a bit thin. Mm -hmm. And that's really the only clue that you get as to what's happening to that guy. Yeah. And then when he regenerates with Patrick Troughton's second doctor, his companions don't know what's going on, and he doesn't... Now there's anybody watching the show at this point. <laughs> and he doesn't answer their question of, are you the doctor? He mm -hmm. just goes rummaging around saying, asking questions about the doctor, as if he's not the doctor. Mm -hmm. And he finds the doctor's 500-year diary and starts thumbing through it. He plays a little bit on his recorder, and it's yeah. like, who is this guy? Well, it's because you get scrambled a little bit when you regenerate, right. so he didn't, you know... But it's very interesting, and even though these are old black and white... Mm -hmm. Re reconstructions of missing episodes I'm still interested mm -hmm. that's the, the fervor the level of devotion uh, the, I have for this show and it's, the, and it's the quality of the stories I mean if you look if, if you can look past special effects which is the sign of an intelligent person oh golly we're <laughs> patting our own backs we are well no I mean you know uh, you know, and it, it is a, I am taking a shot at the people who didn't like the bad special effects because they they were special effect hookers they didn't go for they didn't go for the <laughs> they didn't Hookers? Hookers. <laughs> they were, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't want, the, the story was less important to them than The Flash, and right. I'm sorry, that doesn't impress me. You, you know, if you can look past it and see the good story, but, you know, uh, that's, and, I, and again, I shouldn't be that down on it, because the story's just my end of it, because, you know, being a writer, that's what well, it means to me. I think you and I are tuned into the story. We're willing to look beyond, because we always think of, okay, what was this guy thinking when he sat down and wrote this right. story? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and one thing though, back to the the back to our little controversy about the numbering of the doctors. Um, technically, if you there, there's an episode of, uh, of of Tom Baker's, it's called The Brain of Morbius, uh, where Morbius is a Time Lord who was, in fact, the Sisterhood of Karn. If you'll remember them, mm. that's the episode Tom. That's the episode that they're in that they that they are a reference back to. When I saw that little mini episode, I was like, "That's the Sisterhood. He's on Karn. Yo, I know where this place is." Well, the, uh, the uh, Morbius was uh, was uh, executed, and uh, apparently this evil scientist took his brain and is keeping it alive in a jar, and was going to. This was in a time when Doctor Who was really being a hammer. They were going mm. after Hammer, that Hammer horror feel, because this was blatantly a Frankenstein story, but it was a good one. And this guy was constructing this body to put Morbius's brain into, and then Morbius can come back, and you know he's a Time Lord, go rule the universe or whatever. Well, the body looks like absolute, just, you know, butcher <laughs> material. You know, it's like it's leftover stuff. But it's, you know, it's lungs from a creature that can breathe cyanide. It's stomach of a creature that can eat dirt, you know. And he's basically, he's he's made this, it looks like crap, but it functions very well. And he could survive in orbit or he could survive on any uh, environment in this body. Well, you know, he eventually comes to his senses, and the doctor challenges him to a game of uh, Time Lord Wrestling, where you both, there's this apparatus where one gets in one end, one gets in the other, and these little electrodes go into your head, and you kind of fight brain power-wise. And in the middle, there's this little kind of coalescent special effect where the, what, and I, apparently the, the whole thing is to regress your opponent back to, back to youth or something. So the doctor's got Morbius's face and he's pushing Morbius back through his regenerations, but then Morbius kind of takes over. And then it's a picture of Tom Baker, who's of course, it's a different picture of him. And then it lap dissolves to John Pertwee. No. And then it goes back to Patrick Troughton. And then it goes back to William Hartnell, then it goes back to some other guy, <gasps> then it goes back to no, another no, no, guy, no, goes Jesus back heresy. to another guy. 
Heresy! Five. No. Regenerations I don't before believe it. William Hartnell. No. I'm sorry to tell you. Five <laughs> regenerations before William Hartnell. And see, that's what I got in when, when I got into the middle of that, these guys arguing about which doctor uh, he was. I said, well, technically, guys, he's the 17th. You're that guy, John. You're I'm that, that guy. guy. Because according to that episode, there were five doctors before uh, William Hartnell. Uh, and, and, of course, the guy said, the guy was saying, no, that was probably Morbius. No, according to the way the story was going, Morbius is winning, the doctor's getting shoved back in time. It is not Morbius. You can't argue that because it doesn't fit with what's happening in the story. The writer wouldn't be that, wouldn't be that sloppy because the, uh, the rest of the episode's too good. So, there are five, so... I'll have to see this episode for myself and determine the accuracy of your Okay, that's why I, I, <laughs> I, I encourage that. Uh, but, so, yeah... yeah. Another, another Matt, excuse to watch some Doctor Who. Absolutely. I need to get Brain of Morbius. I don't have that episode. I need to. Um, but, uh, but like I was saying, um, yeah, Matt Smith is actually the 17th Doctor, I think. So, Capaldi's going to be the 18th or something like that. But um, but uh, basically, I think we can count that as swept under the rug. We're not. Probably. We're just gonna not deal with that because I don't. I don't. I don't way, even know if Moff, Peter Moffat knows about it. In the same way that uh, the master is no longer the half brother of the doctor, and the right. doctor is no longer half human or whatever. Yeah, that I didn't care for. That. Certain things just kind of yeah. get swept away. Yeah, and Although, as, as they should be because certain things don't fit the story, and continuity-wise, we can just ignore them. Right. But if they ever decide to reprise, not reprise, but bring back little tidbits like that, who knows? They might be able to work it into it, yeah. Okay. Well, I've always, Kevin, my friend Kevin and I have always tried to theorize who the doctor really is, and we think, well, I, we, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, this is just speculation on okay, our part. Okay. You know, we, I've even gone as far as to thinking, and of course, actually, they put this to rest. I was thinking that the doctor might actually be Rassilon himself, who escaped you know, confinement, get to Gallifrey, lived a life, and then left. Um, but no, because we've, we've seen Rassilon exists independently of the Doctor, and they've been in the same room together. Right. As uh, Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Clark Kent, Superman. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Obviously not the same guy. Of course, that's actually, you know, that anybody who's listening is going, uh, stupid, there's been two Doctors in the same room before. <laughs> so it could be. They go, okay, that's... Ooh, you make an interesting point, Mr. Hastings. Well, you know... Well... I'm still trying to figure out who the woman was who was kneeling next to Rassilon in the, mm-hmm. uh... In, in, uh... Tenant's last episode. Because I've heard people say it might be Susan. Heard people say it might be Romana. Mm. Uh, some people say it might be the Doctor's wife. I don't know. It's interesting, I... I don't want to elaborate on that because I have some ideas, but I have to reference some episodes that I most recently just rewatched, and that would take us on a new tangent. Gotcha, all right, yeah. But uh, suffice it to say, this is more information than most aspiring Whovians would even <laughs> ever need to know, but... We dig a little too deeply, I think. We are passionate about this. We are. And we'd like to share our passions with our listeners. Absolutely. And hopefully they appreciate it. I, I think they do, because they're, they're a good bunch of people. Look at them out there. <laughs> they have bright eyes, intelligent faces. Are there any attractive ones Oh, out there, tons of them. Look, look out there. Look at them all. Wow. All you <laughs> ladies. Mm. We're not going to turn the podcast into a dating service? Not yet. Unless there are some... Never mind. And yeah. Okay. <laughs> Until they at least see a picture of us first. Well, me. You're, you're actually... John's a pretty good looking guy. I'm, John's a pretty good looking guy. Oh, uh, I, I was at one point in life, I think. 
well, when I was John's age. <laughs> Maybe you'll regenerate into Maybe. it. Maybe. <laughs> regenerate into something. Well, thanks, folks, for listening to the Cinema Filibuster. Absolutely. We'll probably have a future episode where we talk about um, each doctor and give a little bit of background. Yeah, do a do a do a, an, an episode dedicated to each one because each one is just filled. You know, each actor and each character. You know, each rendition of the doctor is filled with such you know with history and mm-hmm. uh, the actors who played them are all really interesting people. So we think you will enjoy that. Well, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please leave some comments. Mm-hmm. If you are listening to this on our podcast feed, also leave some comments. Please do. We'd love to hear from you. And we may quote your questions or your statements in upcoming podcasts. Mm -hmm. And send us your favorite quotes. If if there's a Doctor Who quote like the one I have that gave me chills, I want to hear those. Because movie quotes are... You know, kind of one of our things. Is. And if you already know who your favorite doctor is, let us know that yeah. too. And why. Especially why. Oh, absolutely why. Because you can't just pick a favorite and then say he's my favorite without a reason because that's just posturing. And we don't posture here. We don't posture. We slouch. We slouch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Once again, I am Jonathan Solzbach. And I am Sean Hastings. Adios. Color us gone. And now, the credits. Intro music by Matt Steiner. Outro music by Enrique Dib. Show concept and creation by Sean Hastings and Jonathan Sulzbach. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. <laughs>